Fenway Park, Boston. Joe DiMaggio, the batter. DiMaggio connects. It looks like extra bases as the ball finds the gap. And the Yankee Clipper comes on to third, sliding with a triple. In the early 30s, a baseball legend begins to unfold on the sandlots of the San Francisco Bay Area. Joe DiMaggio establishes a Pacific Coast League record by hitting in 61 consecutive games. American League Most Valuable Player three times. American League All-Star 11 times. Career batting average of 325 establishes a major league record by hitting safely in 56 games consecutively. Former Green Bay great Paul Horning met with DiMaggio at Horning's Atlantic City, New Jersey penthouse suite, where the two men explored the legend of Joe DiMaggio, the ball player known to all as the Yankee Clipper. Joe, many people in baseball feel that Mr. DiMaggio was the most complete baseball player of all time. In fact, we had Stan Musial and Mickey Mantle on the show, and they flatly stated that Joe DiMaggio was the greatest they've ever seen. Well, I'm quite flattered, coming from a couple of Hall of Famers and both great ball players. Where did it all start, Joe? In San Francisco. North Beach Playground, I was at the age of six when I first carried a bat in my hand, and we played with a big indoor ball about this particular size. Mm -hmm. What year was it? when you signed your first professional contract? I signed a contract in 1933 with the San Francisco Seals, the AAA team, and I reported the spring training at that time. My brother Vince was with, also with the ball club, and for some reason, why, um, Vince, he was a good ball player, and came time to make a selection. They kept the young one, which was me, and they sent Vince out to the minor leagues, of course, finally won wound up selling him, and he wound up playing with another team in the Coast League. Joe, I've got some great footage in here, the Yankees, starting in 1936, but I'd like to ask you this first. You spent three or four years with San Francisco, and of course everybody remembers the 56-game hitting streak, which many people in baseball feel is one of the greatest records of all time, but you gave indication early with San Francisco that this was going to happen. It was in 1933. You hit in, what, 61 consecutive 61 games? 61 consecutive games. That is right, and that record stood for 17 years, and that was my age, and it was set by a fellow named Jack Ness of the Oakland baseball team, which was also in the Coast League. All the major league scouts were watching you, but there was only one who actually had enough faith in Joe DiMaggio, and that was Bill Essick of the New York Yankees. Were they afraid because of the knee problems? Yes, he was a very fine gentleman. He never gave up on me. As a matter of fact, he encouraged me, and uh, he got permission from the San Francisco Ball Club at that time to visit a doctor down in Los Angeles. And after the doctor gave me a clean bill of health, that's when I decided, to, or not decided, but I did sign a contract with the New York Yankees, at his recommendation, of course. And your signing uh, has gone down in history. Many people say it's the greatest steal in baseball history. How much did the Yankees have to pay? Wasn't too very much money, Paul. It was only $25,000, but there were five ball players thrown in at the time. Of course, I had to stay there that one year, and it was fortunate, too, that these players helped us win the pennant that particular year. Well, speaking of pennants, you had a lot of them with the New York <laughs> Yankees. Your first training camp was in 1936 in St. Petersburg. I've got some film dating back to 1936. Joe, I think you're going to get a kick out of it. Let's take a look. My first... 
day in pinstripes. I certainly was shook up that day, meeting fellows like him, Lou Gehrig, Vernon Gomez, Red Ruffing, Bill Dickey. Here we're doing a little bit of clowning around, Joe McCarthy, and who was a fine gentleman and great manager. You know, I was always under the impression I wore number nine before I wore number five. 1936, that's President Roosevelt. There's a little story connected with that one. Uh, you know, the last game of the series, they made an announcement that no one should leave the ballpark until the President of the United States left. And Hank Lieber was the last batter to hit a ball out to me in center field. And he had such a tremendous drive that I caught that ball right there at the steps. And I started to go up to the clubhouse there in center field. But the thing was that I remember the announcement. And I stayed there until that car passed. And he tipped his hat and waved to me. Oh, that was a memorable day. And now that's uh, Mayor Rossi out in San Francisco welcoming me back home, I believe, after the 1937 World Series. And this is your restaurant in San Francisco. San Francisco. My dad is calling for a little service there, and <laughs> naturally, that's me spilling all of that wonderful spaghetti or something over the mayor. And <laughs> the mayor's telling me, of course, to um, stick take the to bat, baseball. And I should be out on the field, right. And that's my mother to the right. That's me mending a net, and of course, this is my brother Mike's fishing boat out there in San Francisco. And uh, I don't think that I, uh, this was for picture because I really didn't do all of this stuff. <laughs> Here we're playing a little bit of a game called bocce. Uh, this was, of course, introduced around the San Francisco area. My dad played it over in Italy, and when he came, of course, that was his national game, as far as he was concerned. Here we're doing this for the press as well. We're trying to get in shape, but I don't know what reason for to try to get in shape here because I had no weight, nothing to worry about. I was always in spring training. My weight was always good. You never had a problem getting in shape? No problem at all. I'd get around there, take batting practice, and run a few laps. In 10 days, I was in shape. I was ready to go. That's Dominic there to my left. and He was the first ball player that ever wore glasses aside from a pitcher. And it amazed me, too, that uh, he was able to do as well as he did. I didn't believe, you know, he was signed with the San Francisco Seals and played for the three years, and he'd done very well. Of course, they have an interesting story, you know. He had hit in 34 games, and he was threatening my record of 56. And he hit a line drive for his last time at bat, and I didn't have to take a step. I just caught the ball right there in front of my forehead. If I let it go, it hit me between the eyes, the headlines, and the Boston papers that day, Demag Robs dom of a base hit. Joe, this is a shot of you singling and breaking the previous consecutive hitting streak of 42 games. We're going to come back and talk about the 56-game hitting streak in just a minute. Started baseball's famous streak that's got us all aglow. He's just a man and not a freak. Jolton Joe DiMaggio. Joe, Joe DiMaggio. He won't you, won't I? He tied the mark at 44, July the 1st, you know. Since then, he's hit a good 12 more, Jokes and Joe DiMaggio. Joe, Joe DiMaggio, he won't you, They call them the window breakers. Under the watchful eye of manager Joe McCarthy, the New York Yankees reigned as the world's champions of baseball from 1936 through 1939. Joe DiMaggio, Tony Lazzari, Lou Gehrig, Bill Dickey, 
the hardest hitting catcher in the major leagues, whose duties also included catching the Yankees pitching car of Monty Pearson, Red Ruffing, Lefty Gomez, Spud Chandler, and Bump Hadley. Then in 1941, Joe DiMaggio hits in 56 consecutive games. The fans love baseball, and they love Jolton Joe DiMaggio. Eleven baseball's Hall of Fame, he got the blow by blow. Our kids will tell their kids his name, Jolton Joe DiMaggio. A 56-game hitting streak. Will this record ever be broken? Well, as far as records are concerned, I believe that all records are made to be broken. Just like Aaron just broke Babe Ruth's record, and so many other, other records have fallen by the wayside, I believe 56 games will go as well. Joe, after you hit in 56 consecutive games, you were stopped in Cleveland, and then immediately started on a 16-game hitting streak. That's right, 16 more. Mm -hmm. That year, you won the most valuable player in the league. That's right. Uh, in 1941, they uh, awarded me the most valuable player in the league. But you know, there's a little side interest there. That's the year that Ted Williams hit that great average of 406, which I don't think I'm going to be around to see anybody hit 400 again. And we had a, um, they had the, um, the MVP awarded to me by just one vote. I think the total was 206 to 205. I'm not sure. And in 1943, you put on a new uniform, that of the armed forces. And let's take a look at that. You remember this? Well, I'm signing. It looks like a $100,000 contract, but I think it was more like $21 a month. That's induction into the armed forces in 1943. And that's for the photographers. Of course, again, here I'm being sworn in. That happened in San Francisco. And after being sworn in, of course, they put us on the bus and shipped us up around to Monterey area to be assigned. Kind of have mixed emotions about leaving baseball and going into the service? Well, it was something strange for me, Paul. I guess like it was most people who went into the service. Well, here we're given the victory sign now, and I guess I'm just about ready to take off. Right. Mm -hmm. There it is. Somewhere in the Pacific. Well, that looks like uh, Hawaii. Of course, there's some of the fellows. Jerry Pritty, there's Barry Alota Johnny, and this gentleman here is Mike McCormick. And there are the plane for the troops. And uh, we've got a little different uniform there. <laughs> don't recall just where it is that we're playing, but we did play all around the Hawaiian bases. This is your first game back. I guess a lot of people were wondering if the Madge would come back didn't take too long to find out. That was Christopher that was pitching. I recall this one because it was the only base hit I got, and that was a home run over the horns in right center field right there in Philadelphia, right. And Joe's comeback went beyond opening day of 1946. In 1947, the Yankee Clipper won his third MVP award and led his Yankee teammates into the 1947 World Series against the Brooklyn Dodgers. Game number four, Evans Field. Yanks leading two to one. Lavagetto's pinch double to right field. Breaks up Evans's no-hit bid and knocks in the tying and winning runs three to two. Game number five, Yanks leading again two to one. This time, Spec Shea. Fans cookie Lavagetto. Two, put the Yankees ahead three games to two. Jackie Robinson leads things off along with Eddie Stanky. There are 38 players in this wild sixth game at the Yankee Stadium in New York. 
Baranox in a pair to join the crew. Then there follows an interesting rhubarb involving Eddie the Brat Stanky, umpire Larry Getz, and Ed Rommel of the American League. Stanky doesn't like the decision, but the game continues. DiMaggio at the plate with the Dodgers leading 8-5 and 2 on. A long drive to left center field. John Fiddle back. He has it. I thought it was going out of here. Game number seven at the stadium. The Dodgers against Beck Shea and Bill Bevins are leading 2-1 after four. But key hits by Bobby Brown, Tommy Henrik, and Allie Clark plus the five-inning shutout relieving by lefty Joe Page are too much for the Brooks to handle in the 5-2 Yankee win. A typical Joe DiMaggio field leadership triumph. Rated no better than third in the spring, the Yanks are world champs as this dramatic 1947 season comes to an end. I'm quite happy. We're all sort of like looking forward to spending the winter at home as a winner, you know. And that's Dr. Bobby Brown that gave him a little kiss. Well, Joe, you played 11 All-Star games. We'll have that in just a moment. Joe, Joe DiMaggio. We want you on our side. It's time for the annual All-Star Game, that mid-season break when the league's best players get together, including the brothers DiMaggio, Joe and Dominic of the Boston Red Sox. Joe DiMaggio gets himself a two-base hit. And brother Dominic brings him in. It's the first time in All-Star history that a brother has driven in a brother. John getting the base hit and scoring me, I think, for the first time in an All-Star game, a brother rack driving in the other brother. But Following um, year 49 at Ebbets Field. Ebbets Field, right. It's Billy Southworth and, of course, the other manager is Lou Boudreau. And that's Brother Dom. Mel Allen. This is for the press, Eddie Juiced. Yogi Berra was a starting catcher that day. And, of course, one of the great hitters of all time, Ted Williams. There's Jackie Robinson, lining out, no doubt, a two-base hit. He is one of the great ones, I'll tell you that. He, he could do it all. Hit, run, throw, and of course, the great favorite, Stan Musial, who was one of the great ball players that I've ever seen. He could hit. He, uh, he has more records in the record book than anybody I know, just about, anyhow. We were just together down in an old-timers game. We, we look forward to these old-timer games now, Paul. That's Brother Dom going into second base. I guess I reversed it. I'd probably drive him in. We went over the signals, you know, prior to the game, uh, Paul, and calling for what play and who should take and so forth. Because mm -hmm. he is also a center field, but I had to move over to right field that particular game. Here I am. It's Joe DiMaggio Day at Yankee Stadium. That's 1949. That's right. And that's my little boy there and my mother. And, and you trailed the Red Sox by... One game with two days with to go. Two left. Yeah, to win both. Saturday and Sunday, that's correct. The Yankees won yesterday on Joe DiMaggio Day to bring about this deciding game of the American League pennant race. Henrik hits a home run in the eighth off lefty Pell-Mell Parnell to ignite the four-run rally that could sew it up for the Yankees. Rashi's pitch, a sky-high pop-up. Just think, Joe DiMaggio got out of a sickbed this weekend to inspire the Yankees to yet another pennant victory. Yes, it's the first pennant victory for manager Casey Stengel. Oh, he certainly is happy. With all the years that he managed ball clubs, this was his first victory. And he was a jubilant man, I guarantee you that. 
the great manager, Joe McCarthy, congratulating Casey Stengel there. And unusual to see him on the losing side after all those victories with the Yankees. Now, this is the World Series against the Dodgers that year. Right. Young boy throwing out the start of the first game. And the series is on. Game one of the 1949 World Series at Yankee Stadium. Allie Reynolds against Don Newcomb, a great pitching duel. Newcomb delivers, and Tommy Hendrick of the Yankees homers in the ninth inning to win it one to nothing. Game four, the Yankees lead. The Tulane med student, Bobby Brown, is a hero with a bases loaded triple in the fifth inning. The Yankees go on to win it six to four, with Allie Reynolds the winner in relief. Game five, Yankees hoping to take it all. Joe DiMaggio hits it deep. But just a long fly ball, Paul. Another at bat. Not this but one. But I'll have to take a look at that one. Yeah, yeah. I don't look at very many, but I just want you to. You knew that, that was, was going to meet Well, <laughs> I knew it was going to be close. It didn't go too very far. I was weak. I had lost 18 pounds from a virus pneumonia, and that was my second hit in the series. Had a rough time. But the team came through, and we wound up winning that one, as we'll show here. I'm sure. That's it. I guess that was the last pitch of the ball game. That's Joe Page and everybody congratulating. He was our fireman. He did such a great job that particular year. He, every time he went in, why, he'd save the ball game for us. This 1950 World Series. 1950 World Series in Philadelphia. Game two. Robert Roberts in the 10th inning delivers and Joe DiMaggio hits the game-winning home run. The Yankees swept the Wiz Kids in four straight in 1950, and Joe's home run would be his most memorable. Spring training 1951. Would the Yankee Clipper survive a season of tormenting injuries? The heir apparent, powerful Mickey Mantle was already on the scene. Joe DiMaggio's great career ended in a final triumph with the World Series of 1951. Here is Hank Bauer making the final catch in the World Series against the Giants, and that was a very important play as we see here everybody grabbing a hold of Hank and uh, another jubilant day and that's uh, he being congratulated with Rizzuto and Barra and plus there's Casey Stengel I think that's his third one in the row and this is my retirement year that's me for the photographers in 1951 Joe's great pride forced him to put aside his love for the game as recurring injuries took their toll in recent years these have been too frequent to laugh for when baseball is no longer fun it's no longer a game and so, I played my last game of ball. Well, Joe, that retirement in 1951 was not only a sports story, but one of the big news stories of that year. And I think now, even now, I can speak for your many fans and say that I don't think there's any name in sports, past or present, that commands the respect, admiration, and charisma just merely by the mention of the name Joe DiMaggio. Hey, thanks, Paul. Those are kind words. Believe me, they are, and it's been a real pleasure to be on with you. Joe DiMaggio, once the leader of the New York Yankee baseball dynasty, and now enshrined in the Baseball Hall of Fame. When DiMaggio retired after the 1951 season, his all-around baseball excellence led the Yankees to 10 American League pennants and nine world championships. Considered by most fans to be the greatest baseball player in history, DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak still stands as a major league record. Long live the Yankee Clipper, and long live his legend.